So far in our organic series, we've looked at Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, and we've covered two very interesting topics, the first of which was false teaching, and last week we talked about women in ministry roles, and today we're going to cover another major topic in First Timothy, and that is church leadership. So you might think, wow, pastor, I don't think I'm going to ever be in leadership in the church. Why do I need this message? You may not think this is going to be a spiritually like powerful breakthrough sort of message, but given the context of what they were dealing with back then and given the temptation of humanity even today, it's really important to talk about who qualifies to be in leadership in a church. Uh, the reason is, is because the church has a mission. Amen. If you've ever been on a team, you know that leadership is important. How many of you have ever been working for someone like the, the manager and they were a bad or terrible manager? Anybody? Okay. Almost every hand is going up. I'm sure people at home are like, yes, me, 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 me. <laughs> Someone ran back in the door to wave his hand at us. Yes, we all know what that's like. But how many of you have a story where you've worked for a great manager, right? So that's a few less hands, but there is definitely a huge difference in how we achieve our goals if we have the right leadership. So in order to accomplish a goal or achieve anything, leadership is really important and a leader is not just a person in authority. A leader is someone who influences, who inspires, and directs others to accomplish a shared mission. This happens in the secular workplace. It should also be happening in the church as well. I've met, and I hope you listen to me clearly this morning, I have met leaders in churches who held no title. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are influencers or influential people who inspire and direct others to accomplish a goal, and they don't need a sign on the office door that says this is what they do and this is who they are. Amen? And so it's really encouraging to know that there are those who influence and inspire and direct others toward that common goal. But we want to make sure that those people who are doing that, whether they hold the title or not, that they fit into qualifications that are listed in Scripture. In terms of the church, I want you to hear me. We have a mission. Our mission is to make disciples. Amen? And so we are supposed to be helping others find and follow Christ. And every church needs well-qualified people in leadership roles in order to get this mission accomplished. So today we're going to look at what Paul tells Timothy are these qualifications for those who lead the church. But let me tell you this. These are baseline, non-negotiable things. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to understand these are the basics. Everything else is extra, okay? And so Paul is going to list out for us the things that he believes and that God leads him to write to Timothy uh, through the Holy Spirit's work that are the qualifications for those in leadership. There are two distinct roles mentioned in the passages that we'll read today. And one is called an overseer. An overseer, according to what we understand in the original language, was someone charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done correctly. 
If you want to think in a modern sense, that would be a manager in the secular workplace. They are tasked with the duty to see that things that have been given to others are done correctly. The other term would be the term deacon. Now, deacon is someone who attends to matters given to them and more closely, literally the definition in the original language is a servant. It, it has a hint of that person who waits tables and serves and brings whatever is needed when it's needed. So one term being an overseer, the other is a deacon. The modern equivalent of what an overseer would be in the church setting would be a pastor. And the modern equivalent term for deacon, we still use that word deacon, um, but other churches may use the word board member or trustee. Um, So those things are important just to be thinking about as we jump into chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunk, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 4, it says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 6, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So I want us to look at what these terms are because they're terms that you may not use in everyday language. When's the last time you used the word above reproach, that phrase, above reproach? We, we don't use those things very often. So I'm going to talk you through what that really means. In terms of the overseer that Paul is mentioning here, above reproach would be blameless. That would be someone without the ability to be blamed. When we talk about having one spouse, this was an important clarification. They believed then in monogamy, and we still believe in it now. Happy Valentine's Day, right? Monogamy is important. The person in leadership in the church has got to have their house in order. It's got to have one spouse. And this was important. In those days, and even still today, it's much less popular these days and very far out there in left field. But back then, they had issues where people were polygamists and they were married to multiple people, or they had what we called uh, concubines, those who lived in the house as well as the wife and had some duties like a wife would have. So Paul makes this very clear. It's to be the husband of one wife, sober-minded. What would this mean? It would definitely mean something along the lines of being sensible, clear-headed, Someone that's not affected by some other substance. You think of what sober means. It means not under the influence of something else. And so this is exactly what he's getting at. No extreme behaviors in their life. Self-controlled. That's easy. We do use that 
word or that phrase, um, chances are we all could use a little more self-control. Amen? Is that just me? Amen. Respectable. This is, this is someone who is deserving of respect by others. If you ever have heard someone demand respect, you will respect me. Uh, that's, that's a very challenging moment they are facing, and we should not be in that place. Respect happens because people are looking up to those people, and they believe their, their life is worth modeling. Another thing that the overseer should be is hospitable. And really what hospitable originally meant was not just the person who's the life of the party or hosts all the friends. It actually means that one who loves strangers. Being hospitable in those days, that original context meant your door was always open. In the Old Testament, there's instructions, and we talked about them even in the book of Leviticus, that commands God's people to be a hospitable people. That is not to be just friendly with those who are friendly to you, but actually to be friendly to those who are even strangers. Someone who is able to teach. This means that the overseer should be a good communicator. The next verse in verse 3, it says this, not a drunkard. It does not say not a drinker. I don't want to ruffle your feathers too much or get into anything controversial. But I will tell you, the Bible does not say you cannot drink as an overseer. It says you should not be addicted or be a drunkard. If you have something to share with me after service, we'll talk about it. But I just don't want us to get it twisted. Because here's the point. Everything above this baseline is preference. That's really and truly like it's it's your preference if you want a pastor who's a young pastor. It's your preference if you think you're in a community where everybody plays golf and he sure better have a great golf game if he wants to fit in here. Those things are preferential. The baseline is this. So not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. He should not be contentious. The word there quarrelsome really means That one who brings or makes peace. If you're familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who are the peacemakers. He does not say the peacekeepers, which I've been in moments like that where you're just trying to keep the peace. But actually, the Bible here, when Paul is saying this to Timothy, he's letting him know that it should be a person who's qualified to this degree that they strive to make peace peace, to create peace. And the Bible says that he should not be greedy or a lover of money. He should be a good husband and father, essentially, according to the next verse, and that his household should be a a put-together household with obedient children. I love that it says that, keeping his children submissive. I try to, but man, sometimes it's really hard. I mean, and then I thought to myself, you know, who's to blame in this moment? You know, the kids have their own free will, and my wife is part of this too. No, I'm kidding. But with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. The next verse tells us that he should not be a recent convert. So here's the idea in verse 7. That Yeah, verse 6 there, that he shouldn't be a recent convert. This just makes sense. 
if you've never learned how to weld a piece of metal to a piece of metal, why would I hire you to direct all of the welders in a company who are doing something that's going to literally be the the thing that people live inside of or work inside of and be part of a building structure? Why would I give you that if you literally just came out of school and you can't even pronounce some of the words correctly? Hello? So I think this is really common sense. But Paul is making sure that Timothy understands these qualifications, not only for, obviously, for himself to be watching out for those who he installs in leadership, but that everyone in the church would hear this letter at some point and that they would understand that you should not take. We are thankful for the great testimony of someone being radically saved and changed and off the street and given up drugs and completely clear and free. But six months out of that lifestyle, they're not ready to pastor or lead a church. The body of Christ is too important, and at times it's too fragile for people who are not yet fully developed to be in that place of ministry. And so they've got to also have a good reputation in the community. Do not join a church where the pastor doesn't meet these minimum requirements. And I say that because I prep you for someday, you may sell your house and leave this place and find yourself in another place looking for a church. How many of you enjoyed church shopping? Anybody? No, no hands going up. Yeah, it's not fun trying to find a forever faith family. It's kind of difficult and hard, but here are some things that you should definitely be looking out for is those who are in leadership, do they meet these minimum requirements? Everything above that baseline is preference, and I, I really believe that we've got to be careful to not elevate our preference to the place that it's at a level that's non-negotiable. It's hard for me to say this because it's hard for me to live this out. I really do believe my preference is the law. (laughs) Like, I really do. I I give ultimatums all the time, and here's how they're phrased. Do you want to go to Mexican or Chinese? You know, like, okay, well, obviously you know where I'm headed, okay? Because I've given it in such a way that, Lord knows, I hope you're picking up the social clue or cue because that's the, I really feel, I feel strongly about my preferences. I don't understand people who are so passive and they're like, I'm hungry, but I don't, I don't care what we eat. I'm like, you don't know what you want to eat? How is this possible? Okay, that's just me as a human. You say, Pastor, you're going off on a tangent. I'm telling you, we all can be in this place and in church membership, in the support system, of building and growing and finding disciples, we've got to be careful that our preference isn't our our way or the highway, that we don't have that sort of approach to what we are here to do because that's not, according to Scripture, that's not how we should be living. So these are some important things to understand. You need to be careful, and I say this in another dynamic, that you don't spend much time with those people when it comes to church leadership and the development of the church organization who elevate their preference to the level of being non-negotiable. 
If it's a hill they're willing to die on and you discover that it's their preference and it's not based in God's word as a bare minimum requirement, please do yourself and the church a favor and don't spend much time with those people. Let the Lord help them through that. I heard youth pastors years ago and I was one of them. Missionary dating does not work. Okay, It doesn't work. You end up falling prey to much more things going the opposite direction than you do bringing them to a healthier level. It very rarely works. And the same thing is true in the body of Christ. If you hang out with gossips, be careful because you will become the gossip. What you need to do is you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work that only God can do inside of a person. Birds of a feather flock together. Can I get a loud amen? So hang out with the right people. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. So now he's going to go and he separates these two roles. And one is really functional, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But the second role that he talks about is the role of deacons. He says this, that likewise, they must be dignified, not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I want you to think about something for just a moment while that verse is on the screen. If you are a student of the Bible and you start to look at some of the information that comes out of the place we call Ephesus, you'll understand why Paul uses this very curious phrase. Because the religions in that day and time where they were worshiping at the temple of Artemis, part of their religion involved many mysteries. So now it starts to make sense as he begins to use a phrase like this to Timothy. And he says that a deacon must hold to the mystery of our faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, it says, and let them also be tested first. Let them be tested and let them serve as deacons as they prove themselves to be blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith That is in Christ Jesus. So deacons are servants who enable the church to accomplish its mission. And here what Paul is telling Timothy is that they're to be dignified. That means they're to be honorable people. The word or the phrase used double-tongued means not deceitful. Have you ever met somebody who was deceitful? Have you ever been deceitful? We okay, so we've we've been there. We understand that temptation, but there are people that are in their life. They it literally seems like they can't help it because it's their it's not their second nature. It's their first nature to deceive. So he says those who are in leadership of the church should not be those people. Not an alcoholic again. Not to ruffle feathers. You need to do a little further deeper study in God's word. They should not be greedy. For dishonest gain, having a clear conscience, and they should be tested. 
as I studied through this um, this passage this week and looked at that, they should be tested first. I kind of imagined, not that I found any biblical proof of this, but I imagined them being put to the test. Somebody being snuck in or dropping money in the church to see if the deacon would pick it up and put it in the offering plate. You know, like, hey, let's put them to the test. No, that's not what they're getting at. What he's getting at is this, that they have had some experience that has shown that they are trustworthy and true. That they prove themselves without blame. Their household needs to be in order as well. Are you seeing some sort of thread that's going through here? Essentially, if they can't manage that, then how can they manage God's people? If they can't do it right at home with just the two or three, how are they going to help the 20 or 30 or 500, right? Monogamy is mentioned again. The wives of deacons, it says, should be dignified. They shouldn't be talking bad about people, spreading gossip. They should be sober-minded. They should be faithful in all things. Um, The wives of deacons are some powerful women. They have potentially dangerous power in the church. You say, well, pastor, you seem to be talking from experience. (laughs) Wives of pastors and wives of leaders in the church hear things and know things that no one else in the church needs to know. They know things and should be inspired by the knowledge of those things to deeply dive into the spirit of God, the presence of God, the the, literally the word of God and to pray and to be that spiritual support, not to hear some detail that involves somebody's financial giving or hear what so-and-so did to so-and-so and then start treating them differently and things like that. And I say this because I'm not a stranger to these kinds of things. And I know that that happens in churches all over the world. Unfortunately, it's happened before. And just because we're harping or Paul uses masculine language in these two scenarios saying the husband of one wife and talks in that way does not exclude women. You could just as well say the spouse must likewise because I've met some guys who get into that gossip realm and start doing things that they shouldn't do as well. They're, they're the first one on the telephone to talk about what's going on. So you've got to be careful if you're in leadership in the church. You've got to attend to the matters that are given to you, but you've got to be a servant as a deacon or what we would call a trustee or a board member. Remember, it doesn't say that they've got to have a perfect household, but generally speaking, they've got to have their house in order and be functioning properly and have a healthy household. Look at what Paul says in verse 14 and 15. He says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. I don't know about you, but I saw a funny video recently and it was a mom talking to her kids, prepping her kids before they leave the house to go to another house with a group of people. And she says, listen to me and listen up well. And she's just very dramatic in her delivery. It's really funny. She says, don't come asking me what time we're leaving. You go play with the kids. I'm going to be with the grown folks. You do this and you do that. And she's like laying out all these things for them because she wants them to know how to behave when they get there. 
If you had good parents, they did the same thing to you. And if you are a good parent, you've done the same thing to your kids or even to your grandkids. Probably a whole lot less to your grandkids because you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. But uh, because I know some grandparents like that, like my parents um, who are like that. But essentially speaking, you get prepped before you go. So Paul is giving these preparations, these thoughts to Timothy to tell him this is how people ought to behave in the household of God. So if Timothy's got these checklists up in his office and he comes across someone who he believes is a well-qualified person, if they don't meet these qualifications, then they are excluded from the choice of being in leadership. You say, are they that big of a deal? Yes, Going back to maybe just one of the more obscure things, if they're an alcoholic, that means they have no self-control. How will they control the finances in the house of God? Right? Each one of those things can be broken down a million different ways. If they're not honorable in the community or have a life worth exemplifying or looking up to, then how are people in the church with a smaller group of people going to look up to them? It says this, he continues... How one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. I'm not sure how to say that word, actually. Buttress? Buttress. Buttress. Do y'all know what it is? Because I had to Google a picture. A buttress, okay, is that thing that is planted in the ground at an angle and put against a wall to reinforce it so that it stands tall. You can Google the picture of it. So Paul is saying this. It's not only a pillar that holds up the building and actually is based on the foundation, but also something that supports. So inside and outside, it is a support of the truth. So the household of God, the church of God, the living God is an important organization in the world. And its leadership is really important. I asked you if you've ever been in an environment where you worked for a bad manager. I would ask you if you've ever been in a church that had some bad people who were not qualified in leadership. I'd love to see your hands. I've been in them. There's a couple of us. It's difficult. It's hard. It seems hopeless. So if you've ever experienced that, I apologize that you had to go through that. But just like Paul is instructing Timothy, I'm instructing you now saying there's some powerful things that we can take away from this message, from this passage of scripture to help us understand what a healthy church is supposed to look like. Amen. So. Knowing how one is to behave is a good thing. And this is what Paul's doing. He's setting the tone or the expectation so that everything flows and grows as it should. Back in 2017, we adopted here at Celebrate Church a constitution and bylaws for our church. If you're familiar with what that term is, basically a constitution and bylaws are a legal document that help describe the offices and duties of those who serve in leadership roles in an organization. And so ours has to do with the service of the church and literally every aspect of church leadership that we see in scripture as well as what we want to model in real time today should be a plurality, not just one person. 
that includes every aspect except for the leader, the lead pastor role. So having five lead pastors would be really hard. They each believe they have the vision for the church, and that's difficult. There should be one head chief of all the other chiefs, but there, there should be a plurality, and we're working to develop these things. We haven't really made much movement in this direction, but I wanted to share with you what we hope to look like sooner rather than later here in our church. Right now, currently, we have ministry leaders who are developing others in their roles of ministry. And those ministry leaders directly report to me. I try to encourage them to lead them down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I try to lead them in a direction that's healthy and that will help them develop others in their leadership roles. So celebrate church according to our constitution and bylaws, should be governed by five different groups total. The first is the lead pastor. The second is elders. The third is trustees. The fourth is members. And the fifth is overseers. I'm going to talk through each one of these as we start to wind down the message today because I thought, what a great opportunity for us to recast the vision of where we want to head the direction that we sincerely believe that God is leading us. So I'll tell you what my job is. How about that? How many of you know the pastor doesn't just preach on Sundays? Please say amen. Amen. Okay, I've heard that a time or two. Well, you just preach on Sundays, right? I mean, what else do you do? There's a lot that goes into ministry, even in a smaller environment. So the lead pastor is responsible to oversee the day-to-day ministry of the church. He directs and oversees the ministries and other ministers that are in the church. There are some churches that have many ministers on staff, and he would be the one that directs them, and they direct the people underneath them. Every organization has to have a structure, amen? So God's given the lead pastor the vision for the church and the community it serves, and he's got to be a leader of leaders. This is a struggle for some pastors, some who have been called into ministry, um, and they haven't quite figured out how to do that just yet. There are many times I fail at that myself. But a true lead pastor who is qualified in that role, or should I say not just qualified, but gifted in that role, should be a leader of leaders. Yes, he does hospital visits. Yes, he knows a little bit of the detail of every person's life in the church that he pastors. But more than that, he leads the leaders who lead those people so that they can develop healthy, full, thriving ministries. So because Celebrate Church has two branches that are complementary, the spiritual body of believers and the legal corporation, the lead pastor is the one who bridges the gap between those two things. Did you know that the church is a business as well? Right? Yeah, I mean, we pay bills and things like that, and we own property, and so there's got to be some sort of understanding of what, back then in those days, they met in houses, didn't have property, they were selling property, in fact, to move in together onto big pieces of property, they were meeting together for services, it's the modern day church that looks a lot different than what it did back then in those days, and so as we've kind of developed over time, we've realized the significance of being what we understand in tax code would be a 501c3, a corporation that is non-profit. 
We're not a profit business, a for-profit business. We are a non-profit organization. So it's the lead pastor who bridges that spiritual body with the corporate understanding. He's also got to be in a position, the lead pastor. I'm telling you this not because I'm on a, a soapbox. I'm telling you this because you need to know this about whatever church you go to. The lead pastor has got to have permission to ensure that the financial strength of the church is directed towards the ministries of his choice. You say, Pastor, where's the Bible verse for that? It makes sense. Understand, some of this is common common sense because he has the vision for the ministry of the church and the reaching out to the community. So rightfully so, he should be able to direct the majority of, of strength and resource to those things. The lead pastor's responsibilities include this at Celebrate Church, providing vision and direction, defining and communicating the church's purpose, overseeing and coordinating the day-to-day ministry and administration. He appoints a board of overseers. He He is all about discovering and defining, directing, developing those who are in leadership and their teams. It's my job as the lead pastor to select trustees who help oversee the business of the church to make sure that everything goes well and to staff the church as he deems necessary. You may be a longtime member in the church, but you don't have permission to hire a new kids pastor, right? I mean, you just, there's gotta be an organizational flow of those things so that we understand that it it grows in a healthy dynamic. The next is this, and this, again, it's according to what we accepted as our constitution and bylaws back in 2017, are elders. So elders are unique. They support and assist the lead pastor in the spiritual. Everybody say spiritual. In the spiritual aspects of the church. Functionally speaking, there should be some people in every church who pray daily for their pastor, his wife, and family, who check in on them. I love the fact that I got a text message uh, late last night, actually too late for me to have read it until this morning, but it said this, to one of the sweetest couples that doesn't mind expressing the sincerity of God's love to each other, we're so thankful to be your friends and to be in fellowship at Celebrate Church with you. Happy Valentine's Day, Pastor and Amy. That blessed me. I know that there are people who are supporting you. You say, Pastor, that wasn't me. It's okay. It's no big deal. I wasn't expecting a Valentine's Day text from any of you. But here's the point. The point is this. The elders support and assist the lead pastor in the spiritual aspects of the church. So they support and engage in the spiritual growth of the body. We understand that these people, according to what we see in scripture, should be those people who are spirit-filled, who have impeccable moral character, who have a thriving relationship with God. Those people who are in eldership in the church. They should have the faithful support of their wives. They should be the primary protectors and encouragers of a positive spiritual environment in the church. If you want to be an elder in the church, that means you better be at services. I mean, this is, seems elementary, but it has to be said. So you should know what's healthy and what's not. 
I will say this because hopefully it won't offend any of those who are watching. When we arrived here at Celebrate Church, and I don't say this as a pat on any of our backs or the work that we've done, but there was a person who wanted to be in leadership in some way, form, and fashion who refused to come and sit in the sanctuary and hear the message. He's not with us any longer, bless his heart. And I don't mean that he died. I mean that he left because if you're trying to build a strong, healthy thing, you've got to have these expectations. You've got to be sometimes somewhat elementary and say, okay, this is what's needed. And if you can't fulfill it, then we don't need you in that role. Do we need you? Yes. Does the body of Christ need every member? Absolutely. But you've got to understand this about elders. They're neither a governing or a corporate board, but a spiritual body that is appointed to be able to help support and assist the spiritual growth of the church. They also help out in potentially negative and unhealthy situations. This is a really important job, and it doesn't have to get done that often, thank God. But elders are important. Let's talk about trustees. You say, Pastor, I didn't know I was coming to class today. Well, it's the word of God. And we're going through it because it's important for you to know what it should look like. So let's look at trustees. The way we understand trustees in our modern term, they serve the lead pastor and the church in the management of the church as a corporation and they make major financial decisions. This is important to the leadership of the church as well. You don't want somebody who's crazy or a lunatic sitting on that board who's going to say, sure, let's borrow $3.7 million and build a giant, but, but, uh, excuse me, hey, buddy, we only have seven people in the church though. Do you think that's a good idea right now? You know, you gotta have those who are smart, who are smart. This is important. It's a checks and balance accountability system. You know what else this does? If you paid attention, having good trustees serve in leadership roles in the church that make those major financial decisions, it prevents those big givers from wielding too much influence over the financial matters. Well, I've given to this church over the last 20 years of my life. I'm sorry, I make an ugly face because they got an ugly spirit. That's somebody else. I mean, we don't, we don't deal with that here. Praise God. But be careful. Watch out. If you hear people say stuff like that, do not hang around them. Pray for them and get away from them. Amen? That should be a t-shirt. Pray for them and get away from them. Pastor, aren't we supposed to be inclusive and loving everyone? Yeah, just don't let everyone in leadership. That'll preach. Y'all, this is a good class today. So these, these are common sense requirements for people in this role. Uh, it would not make sense to get a trustee into leadership in our church if they've ever filed bankruptcy. Well, Pastor, Jesus is all about forgiveness. And that was 12 years ago. And they, and they learned their lesson. And they're different now. Listen. <laughs> Listen to me. If they're making major financial decisions that affect the kingdom of God, you should have some standard in place. 
That doesn't exclude them from every role in leadership or position in the church. It just means that we've got to make sure that they are smart. In fact, if I had it my way, the people who were trustees at Celebrate Church, every one of them would have the minimum requirement of having been or currently are a business owner. That's because they know what they're doing with finance if they have owned a business. That's It's a harder qualification and that's a preference so it's not in print but do you understand where i'm headed with that we also have a three-year term limit if you read back on the constitution and bylaws the term limits are there and they are important have you seen any of the news come out of our wonderful congress these days the people who literally were born at the stage of our Congress in the House of Representatives, and they are still there 97 and a half years later? Term limits. Somebody shout amen. Okay, term limits. So our term limit for a trustee is three years. They help develop and make decisions for a three-year term, and here's the catch. According to our, our ruling governing document, if they are not asked to consider running again by the lead pastor, then they are thanked for their service and their job is fulfilled. This is important for us to understand. You got to know how your church should be run and how we have seen it uh, work before in the past. The trustees are the only body in the corporation or the church body with these authorities. Listen to me closely. The trustees can buy and sell Real estate, you can't as a member in the church. They can borrow money, you can't as a member in the church. And number three, they can secure real estate leases. So the whole idea behind trustees is that they provide, listen to me, this is so important. They provide counsel, not direction. Did you hear me? I know far too many churches with unhealthy leadership models where their board really just manhandles their pastor and makes him bow and cow to all of their wishes. They've been there longer and they determine this new guy, he's fresh and we're going to make him do what we want to do. Not just lead and try to help give counsel in that direction, but we're actually going to try to determine and direct the lead pastor. That is not the case. It is not healthy. Again, the pastor is called by God to come to that church in order to serve its vision and its mission. And he's got to have the freedom to be able to do this. Is this good? Is this helping you so far? Next is the members. We've got two more segments to talk about. And then you're going to say, how are you going to close this message today, pastor? I don't know. It's a mystery. I love it. The members. What do the members have a role and responsibility to do? The members determine the spiritual tone, the strength, and the direction of the church by selecting the lead pastor. If you don't want him, you don't have to have him. You can either choose a different one or you can go to another church. That's really how this works. So the members aren't there voting on every detail of like, well, the children's ministry wants to paint the walls yellow. Is that okay with everyone? It doesn't have to be okay with you. 
gosh, this is a good message for a bad church somewhere. Come on, somebody. I tell you, we are not the sacred cow church. We don't want to become the sacred cow church. Hmm. We just move on from these meaty morsels. But this is a marriage. When, when you hire a pastor, you better vet that pastor really well. When I go to hire the lowest ranking employee at the company I work for, do you know what I do? One of the first steps I do, I check their social media. That's for them to make minimum wage. So you had better go to some website of that pastor in the other church where he was serving and listen to some of his messages to make sure he's not kooky. Hello? You got to be able to understand this is your role as a member and it's of the utmost importance because all things have got to be considered. But again, I say this about this category too. Remember the baseline common sense non-negotiables and above that everything else is preference. But don't forget everybody wears their best clothes on their first date. All right. Last one, the overseers. I could preach on and on about these categories and what I've seen and had to deal with and hear from other brothers and sisters who are in ministry. Uh, ministry inside the church is somewhat difficult at times because of the people who are in leadership roles. And oftentimes it's those who are not qualified according to scripture who cause the most trouble. So you save yourself. It's like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The overseers. This is an interesting role. According to our constitution and bylaws, it's not in every church that worded like this, but they protect the church through counsel, prayer, and if ever required, the discipline of the lead pastor. Did you know that a church should have discipline? And that if you are not living a disciplined life, those who are brothers and sisters to you should be encouraging you and correcting you and moving you forward. So there's a group of people that we need to fill this role. And that, it, that would be overseers who help the church spiritually by protecting it. It's an apostolic role. They don't have to be overseers for Celebrate Church, do not have to be in membership here in this church. There's a requirement that we put, because we believe it's common sense, that the overseers that we have for Celebrate Church should be those who are current or retired lead pastors or district officials through our Assemblies of God, lead pastors of respected congregations that are known for their wisdom, for their authority. They, they've got to have some experience under their belt and have the best intentions for our church. They've got to know your pastor and love your pastor and the church as well. We have those who are in loose relationship to us that are still acting in this role. So we've got overseers here in the state of Mississippi in the role of the district um, from the district office, but we also have those who are who stay connected to us that are um, playing this role currently, yet not fully immersed inside of it. And we've got to get to the place where we have these positions all filled. Essentially, what your pastor is telling you is we're understaffed. 
And we got to start moving in this direction. So the overseers got to be those who agree to make themselves available to serve the church if requested by the elders, that they provide spiritual protection to the church through prayer and living an honorable Christian lifestyle. If you would think through this, you've met him before, um, Pastor Ron Delgado from Vibrant Church uh, up in Columbus. He would be someone that we would call an overseer for our church. Someone who would come in in the midst of a potential split or divisiveness and assist me. Someone who would come in and help with the discipline of the lead pastor if there was any error in my ways and would be called in. That is the job of the overseers. And we need those. We need those healthy relationships formed. I'm thankful for Brother Bob Wilburn, our superintendent who stays in contact with us and knows the ongoing dealings of our church. You as a member have got to know how your church is organized and functioning. You may not think that this is an all-important message, but it's going to be the only message I preach like that this year. So we can do one Sunday where it's a teaching about church leadership. And here's what the challenge would be. Pray for your church to be healthy, functioning, and to have all these leadership positions filled. It's a pretty monumental task to have people in all of these roles in a smaller church setting. But it it was necessary. This sort of message and these words that Paul gives to Timothy, it was necessary back then in the first century church at Ephesus, and it's still necessary now 2,000 years later. So even though it's morphed, and I think about this, and I thought about it in the development of the message, think about it being a first century Jew who then became a Christian because they believed in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they had to morph from an Old Testament model of leadership of we're going to travel to one city. There's going to be a high priest and we're going to worship in that building to this New Testament understanding of a church is the people and it's wherever they're gathered that they can worship together and they became part of a church. So it's really, it seems elementary and it really is because it was necessary then. It's necessary now to have a healthy, thriving church. We want to be the church that fulfills the mission and be able to say mission accomplished. Would you stand with me today as our worship team comes? You might be here today or watching online and you've got a serious need in your home, your heart, your finances, whatever it may be. And I want us to pray over those things today. But regarding the practical side of this message, I want you to make a commitment today to be part of the health of our church. And part of the health of whatever church you find yourself a part of in the future. This really means that you are tasked as a member to live a spiritually disciplined life, to love others, to stand in unity with those who are in leadership and to do your job of making disciples. It's all of our job and I really believe that we can do it. It's not supposed to be an us for no more country club sort of thing. It's supposed to be a living, breathing, growing organization. And it's heavy on my heart as I read through these scriptures and started to look back at the development of the models of church leadership and how it's changed and morphed over the years. It's really heavy on my heart 
that you should know that I believe we need more leaders in our church. I believe that when you build it to a certain degree, they will come. And I believe as we staff these areas of trustees, overseers, and all the different things that we just talked through, that we'll see the growth happen in the church that we're praying for. But it starts with you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me today?